Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Proverbs 26, 27. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. Psalm 7, 15. The nations have sunk into the pit they have made, and the net they hid their own foot has been caught. Psalm 9, 15. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Psalm 57, 6. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through the wall. Ecclesiastes 10, 8. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath was pacified. Esther 7, 10. The Bible is replete with warnings to those who set a trap for those whom they despise and find that the trap that they set seems to have caught their own foot instead. And in our text today, we see a horribly deep irony that is far from happenstance. It's not just chance. The outcome of the Jews' plan wasn't just fatefully ironic, as we'll see. It was prophetic and providential. The irony wasn't rooted in random fate. It was God's judgment, his intentional judgment upon a prideful people who claimed his name. And in the end, their trap did work. They were able to pull off this trap, but it was to their own shame. They ended up trapping themselves. So if you would, please read with me this tragic story in John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57, as the Jews scheme against Jesus to kill him. This is the word of God. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. But he did not say this of his own accord. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not the nation only, but also to gather into one children, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That it'll come come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know, so that they might arrest him. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we read such a solemn warning to those who make plans, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that we would not be blind to the truth in front of us. As we read this story, Lord, let us take it to heart. 
Lord, I ask that you would open up our hearts in humility this morning to receive from you the word that you are speaking to us. The same Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be written on this page for us. We pray that it would inspire our hearts now and make it real and alive to us through your living and active word. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been so right that you're wrong? You know what I mean by that? You had such a a keen insight about a situation uh, and and you knew so much about it that you called what would happen before it ever happened because you were experienced in it. You knew all about it. And because you knew it was coming, you planned accordingly and you even boasted in the fact that you had foresight about how you knew what was coming. But then when it came, you found out that it horribly backfired. It was not exactly the way that you thought it would happen and you were shamefully wronged. You were shown to be very right in one way, but in another way, you were really, really off. Well, this is the boat that the Jews were in in this story. They were the most knowledgeable about the scriptures, and they knew it. The Jews knew it. This was a council of people gathered together. They were the the religious higher-ups, if you will. And they knew that they knew more than the average Job. But while they knew the logical outcomes to a T, they knew the law in a very, very literal sense. They had their minds wrapped around it so much so that they couldn't even see the truth of it sometimes. While they knew it to a T, they missed the meaning of the outcome. Right? Sometimes there's a way of looking at something and so literally that you don't even understand what it means because you read it in the wrong sense. They were so right that they were wrong. Well, if you would look with me at verse 48, I want you to see something this morning. Verse 48 says this. It says, if we let him go on like this, this is the Jews speaking of Jesus, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Our place meaning uh, the temple and our nation being uh, Israel and especially Jerusalem. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Now, as I was reading this throughout the week, kind of rolling it over in my mind, especially the first time, I couldn't help but say, yep, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what will happen. If, if you let Jesus go on like this, absolutely that's going to happen. He's going to sweep the nation, and people are going to believe on him because he's performing many signs. Goodness, Lazarus just raised from the dead. Of course people are going to believe in him. The moment that we're thinking, yes, that's true, they would have all believed in him. The highest priest speaks up, and what does he say in verse 49? You know nothing at all. You know nothing at all. You can hear his pride the way he speaks like that. You can see him just kind of just shutting it down. Stop it. You know nothing at all. He goes on. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, don't you people see that we can't let Jesus go on? We can't let this happen. We have to shut this down. We must put an end to this man for the sake of the nation, right? That's what that's what his plea is. Even if this man is not guilty, wouldn't it be better for him to die than the whole nation suffer under Roman rule? That's his plea. Can you imagine if the whole nation actually believed this fanatic Jesus? If they did, it'd cause the Romans to kind of come in, sweep away our, our autonomy. We wouldn't be able to have the religious freedom that we would have now. Uh, we'd be put under Roman rule. They'd be controlling us. They might even destroy the beloved temple. They might do that to us. That's what Caiaphas is saying. And you know what? 
He was so right, but so wrong at the same time when he said this. Because his meaning wasn't exactly the way that we think of it now. We can look back and say, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But man, Caiaphas, you missed it. You know, you don't just see the irony as you read this story. You do see it, but you can also kind of feel it, can't you? As you, you read this, you feel the irony. It's because this was prophetic, right? This was orchestrated. God had a plan in this. And when Caiaphas speaks, it says that he spoke prophetically. In other words, God was speaking through him. In verse 51, we read that he did not say this of his own accord. Did you catch that? Verse 51, he did not say this of his own accord. What this means is that when he spoke, it was not the wisdom of man that came from his mouth. It was the wisdom of God that sometimes makes fools of men. Sometimes even the men that are uttering the wisdom of God. He spoke and he spoke truth. He prophesied, but he was on the wrong side of that prophecy that he gave himself. It's actually crazy if you think about it. The irony is so, so thick. What it also means is that God's calling to ordination is not something to take lightly. When God ordains a man, we shouldn't think little of that. We should listen to what God speaks on his behalf, whether he be an Old Testament uh, high priest, as in this case, or a New Testament elder that God has ordained, right? Because God still ordains deacons and elders. So we should listen closely to the word of God as they speak. And surprisingly enough, this might mean following even the word of God, but not the man of God. Think about that. Because he prophesied truth. But if you follow that man, that led to a bad outcome. This man led the people of God to stumble over the stumbling stone that God had placed right in front of them. The stone that was called precious and chosen, Jesus Christ, the one that Jesus put there, the stone that was the, the given by God became the cornerstone that they stumbled over. They said, no, we don't, we, we don't want that stone to move forward in the building of God's house. But that was the one that was the foundation of it all that God gave them. So what are we to think of this? First thing, we should see that God was still speaking and leading to his, uh, leading his people through the prophets, even though they were corrupt. And you can see this all through the Old Testament. God still spoke to his people. Even sometimes the people that were prophesying were sometimes corrupt. But God was still faithful to his people. So the first thing that we should catch is that we should see the faithfulness of God even amid the unfaithfulness of men. God is still good. God is still faithful, even when men are hypocrites, even when men completely miss the truth that they are preaching. Sometimes you might even get a pastor from the pulpit right here saying the very right things, but his life is not lining up with it. He might be on the wrong side of it, but God is still faithful to speak to his people, to feed his sheep, even amid the unfaithfulness of men. Okay. The second thing, it says in verse 53, that from that day on, the Jews made plans to put Jesus to death. And I If you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter in your Bible, I want you to underline that word, plans. Because we make plans a lot, especially in these Christmas seasons. We make a lot of plans. We make New Year's plans coming up ahead, uh, the coming of the New Year's. We make lots of plans. So they were making plans, and I want you to consider their plans and yours. Let me ask you uh, something that's kind of a trick question. So we know that they were planning, and they were carrying about plans, but was this the plan of God that they were carrying out? Think about it. 
It's a little bit of a trick question. Whose plan was this that they were carrying out? I want to remind you of some scriptures in just a moment. It's, it's, it's actually a hard question to answer because our gut reaction is to say, well, no, of course they were carrying out, uh, uh, not, not carrying out the plans of God. They were about to kill Jesus. They were going to murder Jesus. But if you're familiar with scripture, you know that God actually had a plan that there was going to be a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So in some sense, this was actually God's plan. I mean, listen, oh, listen to some scriptures with me. The believers pray in Acts 4, 27 and 28. I've, I've harped on this scripture a lot, but it's very important for us to get a right conception of who God is and what he's doing. Acts 4, 27 through 28, the believers are praying this to God, and they say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and for the people that killed Jesus, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, like the Jews, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay? Or when Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 6-8, For it stands in Scripture, Peter says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined, destined to do. Wow. Wow. So in a very real way, these Jews were fulfilling God's predestined plan by scheming to murder Jesus. And the high priest is prophesying that it's going to happen. And he's even on the wrong side of how it would all go down. From his own mouth, he says what's going to happen. And it will happen. But man, is he on the wrong side of it. He was so right that he was wrong. Wrong in all the, all the right reasons. Right? He, he saw it and he was like, wow, we can't let that happen. Goodness. It's scary. They were absolutely right that Jesus would die for the sake of the nation. And not just the Jews, but the Gentiles scattered abroad as well. And the Jews were right. If they let Jesus go on, he was going to, to do, as they said, he, the Romans would take away the Jewish regime and away with their temple. It happened. Both of these things happened. Jesus was crucified for the people. He was. He died for the people, for the nation. And because death couldn't hold him down, right, he resurrected. So he did go on. If we don't stop this guy, he's going to go on. Well, guess what? The death didn't stop him. He did go on. The world did believe on him. It caused an uproar with the Roman people, and they eventually overthrew the city of Jerusalem and did what? They destroyed the temple in 70 AD. They did the very thing that Caiaphas prophesied would happen. The Jews were right. The high priest was right, but their hearts were terribly wrong. They were terribly wrong. So what are we to take from this? How in the world does one keep from being so right that you're wrong? How do you avoid this? Well, the thing that we might miss about these people is their relationship to God. Their relationship to God. I want you to think about this. Their relationship to God was official. Think about that word, official. It was official, and I mean that literally. They held offices in the courts of God's house. Right? Look at verse 47. Verse 47. 
So the chief priests, that's an office, and the Pharisees, also a ruling class, were gathered around the council, it's an official meeting, and said, what are we to do? So what this shows us is that this wasn't just some casual meeting where they're all getting around and talking about their thoughts and feelings. This was a session meeting of sorts. This was a church meeting. They were gathered as a council, as the chief priests and Pharisees, the ruling class of the Jews, to make a decision. What are we to do? So our lesson, is it to reject ruling classes? Is it to reject offices of the church? So we say uh, offices uh, of the church are inherently evil. We, we should throw away all the offices. No, no. God still tells us in the New Testament to, to ordain deacons and elders. These are good things. These aren't inherently corrupt offices. No. Remember, it says that God was surprisingly still working through the prof- prophetic offices to speak to them. The offices weren't the problem, were they? No. Verse 51 makes it clear that Caiaphas did not speak of his own accord. He prophesied the truth about the atonement of Jesus. And in a a way, if you think about this, he was even preaching the gospel to those people around him. And they were so hard of heart that they did not see it at all. He was telling about how this Jesus would die for the whole nation. And not for the nation only, but for those who are scattered abroad, the Gentiles too. This is good news. And that's the worst news to them. You see it? So, So the office wasn't the problem. What was the problem then? What was their problem here? Well, the problem was that their official relationship to God was the only relationship that they had to God. They lacked a personal relationship with God. They were ordained officers that had the most, uh, they were missing the most vital part of their office. Let me ask you, church, what do you suppose would have happened or been the outcome if when they all gathered together against God's anointed Jesus, who Peter was talking about. What if they had gathered together against God's anointed Jesus and prayed to God, what should we do? Right? Instead of looking at each other, assuming that everyone in the room was already personally attuned to what God was doing because they were all officers of the church. Well, you're an officer. Of course God's working through you. Of course you have a relationship with God. Of course the pastor has a close relationship to God. But does he? But does he? You know, this was a horribly tragic mistake. One that any of us could fall into, really, if you think about it. In their pride, they assumed that their official status with God was as good as or better than a personal relationship to him. And we could fall into the very same thing. We assume that since someone's ordained, that they must be a faithful man of God that has a close personal relationship with him. Don't make that assumption. Don't make that assumption. What we find in this story is that they honored God with their mouths, but their hearts were far from him. In fact, they were actually hunting him down to kill him. And that is what they eventually did. They hunted down Jesus. They set a trap for him to get him killed. And they did kill him. Only to find out that the trap wasn't for him, really, was it? It was for them. They didn't realize what they were doing. But the irony of this story is that the the, the pit that they dug for Jesus was meant to be for him to be punished because he was a sinner. And we will save the nation of righteous people from this sinner Jesus, right? Well, we got to save these people. These are good guys. That guy, though, he doesn't agree with us. 
His theology does not fit like ours does. We know what the Sabbath says. It says you shouldn't do anything. Here he is. He just He's healing people on the Sabbath. Can you believe this? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. The pit of Jesus was for him to be punished for his sins, and they would be set free. But really, it was the complete opposite, wasn't it? Jesus was the righteous one that did not deserve to be killed. They were the ones that were unrighteous. And church, that's actually the good news of the gospel, that when you understand that prophecy in the right way, it's the best news you can ever hear. You're the sinner. I'm the sinner. I'm the unrighteous. We are the ones desperately in need for one to die for us. Because it is better that one righteous man would die for us than a whole nation, than a whole world of unrighteous people would die. That is the love of God. That was the gospel being preached to them, and yet the, the trap that they had planned in their own minds caught their leg instead. They stumbled over the stumbling stone that God put there for them, right in their face. So church, God's word to you today is to consult him and his plans personally. You have to come to have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. And I know that probably sounds so cliche, but man, is it so vital. You have to have a personal relationship with God before you make plans of your own. Don't assume. Don't assume. These Jews were making church plans how to strategically plan their ministry. Right? Bring it up to the modern context. Bring it further into the New Testament. These were church leaders making church plans. This is what they were doing. Let us not forget that these people were not that different than us. These people were given as examples to us so that we might not re- uh, repeat their mistakes. They're just like us. We're sinners too. We're prideful too. We fall into the same traps. We set traps for ourselves, not even realizing that they're going to backfire us on us later. We make plans every day, presuming that since we're Christians, that we will be aligning with God's plan and being on the right side. I'm a Christian. Of course I'm making the right plans. I know the Bible. I've read the Bible. I've heard people say that before. I've read the Bible as if if you read it once, you know everything about it. And, and, but we act like that all the time, don't we? I've read the Bible. I'm a Christian. Of course I'm going to make the right, the right move. These Jews, their problem was that they were officially aligning with God's plan, but they were personally on the wrong, on the wrong side. And we do that too. Officially, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I'm a member of God's church. I'm officially a Christian. But are you personally in tune to who God is and what he's doing in your life? That's the question. The only way that we can know that we are not planning our own downfall like the Jews is by holding the stone of Christ as chosen and precious. That, that foundational element to the church, we have to hold on to Christ. Jesus worked powerfully in their midst. He was doing all kinds of signs and miracles, uh, and they still did not believe him to be their Messiah. Why? Because he didn't fit their box. They had an idea in their mind that they assumed their Messiah would look different. Like I said, we got our Sabbath understanding, and he's clearly not fitting into that box, so let's kill him. Now, it's easy for us to look at them and say, wow, I mean, that's, that's going to be uh, the, the, the place that you draw the line? It was for them, but you might have something else in your own life. Maybe you have a box that you have put Jesus into. And, and perhaps Jesus has worked in your midst in a certain way where you're able to look at it and say, well, I know God, and God doesn't act like that. God doesn't work in that way. What ways have we not allowed God to work in our own lives to where we're able to see God working and his plan being carried out? Check yourself. Check yourself. Proverbs says, the fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. 
Many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man's a man gets justice. So it's fear of man and even ourselves and just fear in general that makes us plan and scheme and lay snares to try to work out things in our own in our own thinking. But whoever trusts in the Lord, it says, is secure. You're safe. You don't have to fret. You don't have to worry and get all upset about what are you going to do. Many seek the face of a ruler. They, they want someone else to tell me what to do. I want a pastor to affirm what I, what I want to do already. So you'll go find a ruler to affirm what is already what you're going to do. But it's from the Lord that man gets justice. The Lord is the one that gives us this. That's how you hold firm. So the only way that you know you aren't so right that you're wrong is by humbling yourself to the point where you can say honestly with Caiaphas, I know nothing at all. He says, you know nothing at all. And he's assuming that he does know it in that moment. I know nothing at all is what you need to say to God in your humility. I need help. And, and pray it personally. Don't just say it. Don't just affirm, I'm a sinner. I, I know I don't know everything. No, get personal. Pray to the Lord. Go, go to him and say, I need help. Don't just ask your church leaders. Do ask them for counsel. Yes, that's not a bad thing. But ask him too and pray. Ask the Lord. Go to him. Go to him and say, what are we to do? Just like the Jews should have went to him. They should have opened that meeting. That council was saying, Lord, what are we to do? We're at a loss. This doesn't make sense to us. We have this idea in our minds, and Jesus isn't lining up to that. Now what do we do? Instead of just assuming, I already know what to do. So how are we going to make happen what we already want to do? Lord, you are my confidence. You are my security. You are my wisdom. I need your voice leading me as the good shepherd. God, I know that you've given Jesus to me as my great shepherd to lead me out. He's my rock. He's my salvation. And it was better for him to die for my sins than to allow me to try to make a plan and a way out of it for myself. Jesus died so that you don't have to. That's the good news of the gospel that Caiaphas preached to them, but they completely missed. So church, I don't want you to miss it this morning. Hear the gospel for you this morning, that if you put your hope, your confidence in Jesus, who has already accomplished the work for you, you can be secure. You can rest assured that you are not going to be so right that you're wrong. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, how we need your help. We make plans, we scheme about things, and we have things that we seem to have figured out in our minds. But Lord, we've seen them backfire in our face before. And because of that, we are humbled. And we say to you this morning, we need help. So Lord, I pray for each and every member in this room to see today that we don't just need an official relationship with you. Maybe, God, you are calling them to an official status. 